Message from Starfleet Command, top priority. You are listening to the Trek Ranks Podcast, a member of the Tricorder Transmissions Podcast Network. This is episode 102, featuring the top five discoveries, season three moments. Welcome, Star Trek fans. I am Jim Morehouse. I am the host of the Trek Ranks Podcast. And tonight, we are breaking down another amazing season of Star Trek. Incredibly, it's one of three that we got to enjoy during the 2020 calendar year, which is amazing and cool. So tonight, it's time to break down the top five Discovery Season 3 moments. And yeah, that was an incredible season, to say the least. So I can't wait to get into it with our two guests tonight. First up, returning for her third go-around on Trek Ranks, it's our courier from the Los Angeles sector. It's Teresa Jacinio. Welcome back, Teresa. Thank you so much for having me. I always have a good time here. Uh, we love it. You were on uh, episode 14, Time Travels, and episode 41, one of my favorites, coolest episode titles. <laughs> That's what we do here. And our other guest is Ebony she is making her first uh, appearance on Trek Rank. She is an author, a professor, an all-around Starfleet scholar. It's Ebony Elizabeth Thomas. Welcome, Ebony. Thanks for having me. It's so great to be here. I am excited to talk Trek with you guys. So, Ebony, for our first-time guests, we'd like to get a, a quick Trek origin story. So, just wondering, what's your Trek backstory? I follow you on Twitter, and I love all your comments and uh, and the way you look at Trek, but how'd you get into it? Are, have you seen it all? What's your favorite series? Give us a quick snapshot. So I have always watched Star Trek because <laughs> it was always on in my home, but there was a gender war around Star Trek because the men in my family liked Star Trek, you know, and my mother famously did not like it because she associated it with her ex. Her ex thought he was Spock. And so when I was little, she always would fuss and complain about Star Trek. So when your mother hates something, when you're a kid, by the time you're a teenager, you're quite fascinated by that thing. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, the more my mother hated Star Trek and um, by extension, science fiction, the more I was fascinated by it. So I began watching during the um, the next generation era. So that was the first Trek that aired live for me. Of course, before that, we had the original series and syndication, um, the fabulous Nichelle Nichols as Lieutenant Uhura was my favorite character. Um, I, you know, I just believe that, you know, we always belonged on spaceships, right? Because I was a little girl and Trek was always on. Yep. Um, then I went to college and I confess that when DS9 went serialized, I shouldn't confess this on a Star Trek podcast, but I sort of lost the plot because I was in college during the height of it. So from 95 to 99, I was an undergrad. So of course, DVDs saved the world and I caught up soon. 
via streaming. And um, Voyager ended, Enterprise began. I watched Enterprise as it was originally airing. I thought that veteran Trekkies were kind of hard on it. And I have been an avid, um, passionate devotee, um, you know, for the entire 21st century. So I can't imagine a time when I won't watch Trek, and I hope it's always on our screens. It's difficult for me to pick a favorite series. If you twist my arm, I will say DS9, especially as a professor and critic, is one of the best science fiction television shows ever made. Um, But I have a soft spot for Star Trek Enterprise. I think it's the last two or three seasons that we never got that tantalize me. So I love thinking about the NX-01. I could listen to that all day. That's so awesome. Yeah, I thought I should stop. <laughs> like, you know, like, oh, seconds, I keep going. <laughs> so great. I mean, most people end up picking Deep Space Nine. I, it's funny. I've heard that a lot where people say, ah, during college, I kind of fell out of touch a little bit, lost contact with it, but then quickly came back to it. I actually hear that a lot. That is awesome. That makes perfect sense. I love that you love Enterprise because uh, you definitely love Enterprise here. And I love so. that you were rebelling against your mom by being a sci-fi nerd. Like that's the, the <laughs> best thing I've heard ever. So true. So yes. true. Classic. All right. Going to be a great show. Let's get started with our quick Trek Ranks recalibration. Let's start with something small, like a recalibration of the EPS manifolds. As regular listeners will know by now, general order number one of the Trek Race Charter is that we love Trek. We love to rank Trek via some deep dive topics just to get the conversation started. And remember, it's not about the ranks. No one cares about that. That's just our excuse to talk about Star Trek. Because as Mr. Spock himself has said many times, our show is all about... Infinite diversity in infinite combinations, symbolizing the elements that create truth and beauty. No wrong answers. It's not about being right or definitive in any way. It's just about sharing the things we love about Star Trek. We love it all from TOS to TNG, straight through to Enterprise and the Kelvin timeline and now Discovery and Short Treks and Star Trek Picard and Lower Decks as well. It's all fair game here on the Trek Ranks podcast. Black alert. Black alert. And a reminder that this episode of Trek Ranks is current through 801 episodes of Star Trek, which translates now to the third season of Star Trek Discovery, which we're obviously talking about tonight. I boost the power to the communications bandwidth. We appreciate that bandwidth boost, Mr. Kim. And you can find Trek Ranks on subspace at trekranks.com. You can connect with me directly on Twitter at Trek Ranks or at Enterprise Extra. And you can also call and leave us a message with your own picks at 609-512-LLAP at 609-512-5527. Okay, Teresa and Ebony, why don't you guys let everyone know how they can get a hold of you on subspace, uh, Teresa? <laughs> well, uh, on basically all social medias, especially Twitter and Instagram, I can be found at Teresa Gisino. Very creative. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's basically the best way to get a hold of me. Awesome. And how about you, Ebony? I think the best way to get in touch with me if you're a Trek fan is to follow me on Twitter, Eb Watches Trek. And if you're interested in my other activities, if you go to ebonyelizabeththomas.com, you'll be able to um, see all my news and all my views. Fantastic. Two awesome Trek follows. All right, let's get into our level one diagnostic, and I'll quickly break down this topic in a little more uh, detail. Run a level one diagnostic series. Come. 
as always for these season recap shows, the diagnostic cycle is kind of critical because we we aren't just doing a top five list of random moments or episodes or whatever. We're instead kind of breaking it down and categorizing it and defining each round a little bit more. So here's our quick breakdown on the top five discovery season three moments topics in round five. We're doing our favorite production design elements so that can be Anything like your favorite ship or prop or costume, score, visual effects, cinematography, however you want to break that down. Round four, we're choosing our top performer or actor or creative. And this one's more as much about off the screen as it is on the screen and the things that went into creating that that performance or um, contribution to the show. Round three is the Davo round. It's our complete wildcard round. Pick anything you want to talk about. Round two, it's our favorite character. That's pretty simple. Break it down however you want, but your favorite character that you want to highlight from season three. And round one is clear. It's what we do on Trek Ranks. It's your favorite episode of the season. Okay, let's get into our prime directives and hear how everybody broke down their picks. But what you're proposing is exactly the kind of tampering the prime directive prohibits. Okay, Teresa, let's start with you. How how did you break this down and 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 uh settle your tiebreakers with your prime directive to finalize your your top five yeah i it was i mean it was really hard um especially since this season was so full of things that i loved um and i will go out and say it is already you know my favorite season of discovery mm-hmm. period so in order to narrow it down really it was just I went by gut. I went by emotion. It was basically like what thing made my heart leap out of its chest the most. So yeah, these are these are some picks that that made me sit on the edge of my couch and clap my hands really fast like a giddy five year old and uh, yes. and uh, jump up and down. Oh, I love just the straight gut pick. I do that often, and we too will go out on a limb and say this is our favorite season as well. So, Ebony, how about you? I know you, uh, this is your first time. So, how did you kind of break it down and cut through it all to make five picks? Well, um, I did not finish the season (laughs) until right before the podcast because 2021 has decided to pace 2020. (laughs) Yes, yes, it has. (laughs) Yeah. So, and in the lives of many. So, you know, I had lots of ideas about what I thought the season would be like, I think, before I went into it, but it was so much more fabulous than Mm. I thought. And so, So I just went with whatever caught me, whatever my gut feeling was after I sat with this finale for um, a half hour. And um, yeah, so I wrote, I just jotted down um, answers very quickly to all five categories. And um, I'm curious about what Teresa has. That's fantastic. So we're all pretty much on the same page. I brainstormed and then, you know. Chose my favorites, the ones that spoke to me viscerally. The only little caveat for me is since this is the third time we've done this now, I did go back and check my season one and season two picks to hopefully make sure I had I wasn't being super repetitive in terms of the things I was picking. I did see a couple of places where I was like, ah, I'm kind of doing that again. I should stay away from it. And there's one place where I'm doing it again, and I'm for sure not going to apologize for it because it deserves it. So I'm going to highlight it again for the third time. In in three Discovery Seasons uh, recap shows. Okay, let's get to this first coup d'etat introduce us to the order of things. 
It'll be alphas like us that determine the future of this quadrant. That will be the new order of things. Thank you, First Cadet Katan. And as always, just a quick reminder on how we're going to go through the order of things. First, everyone will start with their five-word summary and a hashtag to kind of tease their pick. Then we'll each reveal our Discovery Season 3 moment and one episode that we may be associated with that uh, pick to help explain why we're highlighting it. And at the end, we'll ask everyone for a few secondary system selections for the picks that just missed our list. And as always, if we have any duplicate picks, make sure you listen for the Defiant Torpedoes. Okay, Teresa, we're going to start with you. What's your number five pick for your top five discovery moment, starting with our production design element? Yes. Well, my summary is retake ship, make it cute. Hashtag Star Trek meets Pixar. <laughs> my favorite production design elements are the dot 23s. Oh my God. I love, um, I love them so much. And I want to highlight them specifically in the uh, second to last episode. I think uh, there is a tide. Yep. When they show up and the, the uh, intelligence, oh my God, what is it called? Uh, Zora, the sphere data. The sphere data. That's, yeah, that's not, technically not Zora yet. Yeah data uh when the sphere data has hidden itself in the dot 23s and they approach tilly and they want to help and i'm looking at them and i'm looking at tilly and my first thought of course was wally and then (laughs) my (laughs) my second thought was this was the cutest like the fact that they are working with tilly was just like the most adorable ship takeover of all time and I just love their design. I love their. I love the fact that there are little floating robots that look like that on this ship. That is so sleek. Otherwise, you know, like the the. There's so many cool design elements on the show. All the ships look amazing. Book ship is like amazing. That was a hard one for me to not choose, but I had to go with cute in this case, and they are adorable. You're the sphere data, aren't you? Indeed, we are. Hello. Greetings. It hid itself in the dot 23s. What? You here to help us? I am at your service, Captain. Shall we take back the ship? So yeah, that's that's my pick. Okay, I love this pick. I love the dot 23. So I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie Silent Running. I've been tweeting about this because I love this movie from the 70s. There's three little robots, Huey, Dewey, and Louie. And I just had all these vibes about it. I went and rewatched the, the film. I highly recommend it. It stands the test of time from the from the mid-70s uh, Bruce Dern it film. It's called Silent Running. It's a conservational sci-fi movie from the mid-70s. The only thing that doesn't stand up is the score and the Joan Baez soundtrack. Nothing against Joan Baez. It just, it's just jarring in this. It feels like a... Uh, anyways, it's it's a great movie. It's so good. <laughs> it's it's incredible. So I love this pick. I love the dot 23s. I'm a huge fan of the sphere data. This is awesome. Ebony, what's your take on this pick? So I had a tie, but Teresa, you know, did me a solid here. And that was what I was. I was. So now I have a, a soul pick. because Oh, I love it. I love it. So you were, so were going to pick them too, maybe. Yes, but I was tied. Okay. So my five words are. I love non-human coolness. And my hashtag is sci-fi is about aliens. So my favorite element of the season, um, fantasy lover that I am, 
was, of course, the unnamed monster in Sukal. And um, of course, mm-hmm. had, you know, had us. Yeah. So I was intrigued. And I think that the, the show left us with some questions, right? So we didn't ever full, you know, of course, this was Sukal's worst fear, right? So like where it, it sort of represents his worst fear. But I don't think that we ever got an explanation for why the um, the creature was lifted from Kelpian mythology that way. And as someone who's a fantasist or, uh, by trade, so someone who theorizes and thinks about fantasy and folklore and mythology, I just want to sit with volumes of uh kelpian lore i want to know as much about Tamanar as i know about vulcan well now nivar so <laughs> yeah i love this i love this because the well, my initial thought is yes they didn't really like it, it ended up kind of being a little bit of MacGuffin. it was like uh right it's like a fantasy element that was the fear you just had to kind of step past it and then see his his experience again with that caused the burn with his mother but I love the setup for it because when they were looking through the book and there's that there's that drawing in in the episode uh, Sukal where the Baul and the Kelpian, if you look really close, they're holding hands. Yeah. And I'm and I'm like, oh, that's really cool because obviously that was not the case in the 23rd century. So yeah. I thought that was really really cool. And I and I from a, a fantasy author like yourself, Ebony, this is a fantastic pick. Uh, Teresa, what's your take? Yeah, no, I I agree that it was a fascinating element, both from like a design standpoint. It was beautiful mm-hmm. to look at, even though it was scary. Mm-hmm. But also, I'm I'm such a sucker for alien cultures. Yeah, and yeah, like you, I I I got really excited actually when we see that. Saru took him to Kaminar. Yes. And I am very excited. I was like, oh, he has a son now. Like, it, oh. like that's his boy. <laughs> and I, I just love, I'm looking forward to, I hope that's something that we get to see, you know, next season is, is more exploration of Kaminar and more kind of Saru getting back in touch with his roots in this future. Yeah, I think you're going to get your wish there, Ebony. I think we're going to learn a lot more about Kaminar in the 32nd century. I'm so excited. Very cool. Okay, I'll go to my round five pick. Five words and a hashtag. 30-second technology leap astounds hashtag. I'm done being reflexively supportive. My my (laughs) episode is That Hope Is You. And I just, it's this 30-second century technology leap that when, I'll say that when I first heard they were moving 900 years in the future, I was a li- not concerned, but I was like, man, that's a lot of time to show the difference in technology. And am I going to buy it? Like, or is it just going to be like souped up versions of ships or something? Mm-hmm. And I wasn't sure if I was going to really buy it. But the first episode, That Hope Is You, part one, I was absolutely sold by the time this thing was over with all the elements of the the ship designs and the cool wrist activated phasers and the, and the tricom badges th- throughout the season. And, and, uh, and I, and I really love uh, book ship, which you mentioned, Teresa, it was just kind of blew me away. Uh, personal transporters, programmable matter, the whole thing. I'm just kind of throwing it all into a bucket and saying that the showrunners did an amazing job of showcasing what Trek could look like 900 years in the future and making me think, yeah, this fits and it makes sense. And I'm buying in. So 
and and they did it so fast in that first episode. I was totally on board. So Teresa, what's your take on that? Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I think you're right that the the creators of the show really put a lot of thought into how current technology would or current for the show. So <laughs> uh would extrapolate, yeah. you know, that far in the future. Um and and it's it, it's always so interesting to think about technology because on the one hand, in my lifetime alone, we've gone from like, you know, landlines to smartphones. And that seems like a huge leap. But we still have doorknobs, you know, and we still right. like there are certain things that don't change. There are certain things that do. And they did a really good job of changing things that would change for for to make them more ergonomic, to make them more uh, efficient. But then other things stayed very much the same. And some of them even like if you look at the the costuming, like because it's kind of a dystopian future a little bit because the Federation has mm-hmm. is, uh, fallen apart, all of that good stuff. So, you know, there, it's a lot of layers and a lot of like, you know, just kind of long trench coats and, and scarves and things like, you know, they didn't they didn't extrapolate everything. They did it in a way that was very thoughtful and detail oriented. I love that. Yeah, I totally agree. I got excited because you know, there's even now a built-in explanation for why the crew had to be in the very crowded 23rd century. So there was lots of consternation about it. But as I'm thinking about it, who better to rebuild the Federation? If you bring the ENT folks from the NX-01, there's no Federation yet for most of the show, right? And then if you think about the 24th century, the Federation, yes, has is under siege, but it's this established thing by the years of Picard and Janeway and uh, Cisco, uh, the bulwark that needs defending, the citadel that needs defending. But who better... <laughs> than a crew from about 10 years before um, the guys who started it all, because that was a time when the Federation was expanding, where they were, you know, um, well, all that jazz, you know, (laughs) I don't want to start, you know, like straight, they were exploring strange new worlds, which will be the next series we get. So Jim, I think you got on with that pick. Yeah. And there's actually a point where Book says that he says to Burnham, you know, I think it took a person like you to be the person to kind of help showcase what the Federation is and can do at the end of that. How am I gonna do this, Buck? It's possible that a person who has a complex relationship with the future is the exact right person to do this job. Yeah, okay, we may talk about that more later. Let's go to round four. Teresa, what's your number four pick? This is our top performer. Oh, yes. Okay. So my five words in a hashtag are navigates nuance like a boss, hashtag more of a queen than grudge, and my top performer, Sonequa Martin-Green. Oh, awesome. Yes! Yes. I, like, she's always been great on this show. Yeah. But this season in particular, (laughs) holy crap. Like, she... Her range on this show, and even just, and I wanted to highlight um, that Hope is You part one. Oh, awesome. Yep. Right from jump, she is going from, you know, she lands, she's completed her mission, she's overjoyed, and then immediately just distraught because she's left behind everything she's ever loved. Then she's dealing with book, and they have this, like, antagonistic slash rom-com vibe going on. Then she's on drugs, and she's hilarious. 
then, so you know, good. she's marveling at the technology. Like, I love her response. And, and I was thinking about this, Jim, when you were talking about the tech is, is I love watching the Discovery crew respond to all the cool stuff. And she's like, personal transporters, huh? Like, yeah. <laughs> she's like, well, who knew? And it, just her her range and the the nuanced way that she, you're just seeing every emotion on her face in every scene. And I was joking with my wife that like, she is the queen of having a tear, one tear fall down her cheek and bounce off. Like she has these magical tears that are like plump and like perfect and like just like you see them falling and it's like, oh my God, there's so much emotion in that tear. So yeah, I love Sonequa Martin-Green always, but especially this season of Discovery. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Ebony, what's your take? All right. My five words are such a gift to the fandom. Hashtag badass after Vaharai. It is Saru, honey. Oh. I mean, Saru really was the backbone of the season. If my girl Sonequa was the uh, the queen, the flash, the dash, the one we couldn't take our eyes off um, of at the time. I really think that Saru was sort of like a metronome. His calm and steady presence throughout the season, he was the captain that they needed when they went through, you know, went through time and they landed in, you know, the far future. Who better than Saru? He was measured. He was thoughtful. He was a little conservative at times. Um, I think the moment for me was, remember the dinner that, uh, <laughs> you know, the the infinite, the infamous dinner scene. Yeah, it was, it was in Forget Me Not, the fourth yes. episode with the dinner. So oh, to like, chat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just shows you his even post Bahari, even you know, now that he can be aggressive and he's not afraid, he's still just so thoughtful, so gentle and so sage. And I think that's a leadership style we don't often see, not only in the world, but not necessarily in Trek. So like calm and steady in ways that, you know, are reminiscent of John Luke a little bit, but not quite, you know, it's very alien. It's very much Saru. It's very Kelpian. And of course, although this is not the actor category, I mean, we have the fabulous Doug Jones oh, out of aesthetic yeah. makeup for the first time. So that's my guy. Yeah. Doug Jones, incredible as Saru. I love him as captain. I love the way he led he, really in, in far from home is an amazing example of it where he they crash and he's just right away he's in control he's barking out orders and then when they go when they go exploring he's he's just really in command i think i think his season was amazing and the seeing doug jones at the end out of out of makeup was unreal uh Teresa, what's your take yeah, no, he must have been so relieved to have one episode. And then Wilson Cruz, so excited to get a Bajoran nose. Oh, so, he looks so good. <laughs> yes, it's gorgeous. But um, I love Saru as well. I love his relationship with Burnham. I love his relationship with Tilly. And I love, when, you know, Ebony talking about um, leadership styles. I also love that he accepted that he has stuff to learn as well. Like he, as much as he was in command and on top of it and ready to lead, he also took advice and he also, you know, that dinner was him trying to, to listen to his crew was him trying to taking the advice of the sphere data being like, Hey, they need a movie. Hey, they need, you know, right. they power through this traumatic situation. He listens to Culber. He listens to Tilly. 
you know, he's somebody who leads, but who also is a listener. And I think that's an important thing to see as well. Absolutely. One of the, one of the best traits and going back really quick on Sonequa. I love your, I love the pick of Sonequa Martin green. She's been my favorite thing about uh, the first two seasons of discovery. And it hasn't changed much uh, here in the third season. And like you said, that hope is you part one. She just owned it right from the beginning. And that scene it having her uh, under that truth serum and then <laughs> kind of emoting all those things was like such a character re relief and re- it's just it was just really well done. I don't even know what they were what it did, but it just it was such a different kind of tone and atmosphere. It just worked so so good. Yeah, it's so fascinating to think uh, like when when she had moments like that. It's fascinating to think just this whole season that we have to remember that she was raised as a Vulcan for the most part. Right. And so when we see her in this season leaning so hard into her humanity, it is like, oh yeah, but then, but then she'll do a Vulcan neck pinch, you know, and she'll do these little things that remind you, oh yeah, she was raised as a Vulcan. I forgot. But like, yeah, she, she still has that in her as well. Mm -hmm. Yep. So good. Okay. Let's close out round four with my top performer, five words and a hashtag. Paradise makes great first impression, hashtag first full season showrunner. And my episode is also far from home. And Michelle Paradise, the showrunner, this is the first time in Discovery history that a complete full season had the same showrunner. And you know, that I feel like it made a difference. I love Discovery from the from the get-go, but you can clearly see there's some continuity and some consistency issues with Brian Fuller, Aaron Harberts, and Gretchen Berg all being uh, relieved of their duties at some point. So the fact that Michelle Paradise came on board in the middle of the second season has been the showrunner since uh, late season two, all the way through season three, you can just absolutely see the the way the ambitious stories and everything that they told and, and the continuity and the consistency. I'm just going to rattle off all the, all the things that they accomplished, the incredible the theme of connection and discovering, which ended up being super prescient for 2020 because this was written way before the pandemic, which is incredible. Saru as captain, we talked about. Burnham's just total introspective growth. The Federation, they had to redefine. The Burn story, which I loved. I you know there's a lot of people out there who weren't totally loving it, but I did. The Sukal reveal, Adira and Gray, we haven't talked about. Unbelievable representation. And we had... Uh, the Trill uh, Books Introduction, Emperor Giorgio, Guardian of Forever, Detmer's PTSD storyline got like three or four really powerful, strong moments through the season. That's a lot in 13 episodes. Zora, Sphere Data, uh, I just love it all. So, uh, yeah, I'm picking Michelle Paradise. Teresa, what's your take on uh, on her as showrunner? I'm so glad that you brought her up. And, you know, as a writer myself, I'm, I'm always such a nerd about writers and I think you're right. I think having one consistent showrunner contributed a lot to this season being so successful, just for for personal reasons and professional reasons. I love that there's a female showrunner at the head of the show right now. And I think that that, or that has contributed to the direction of the show, like all of the things that we're talking about and like the focus of Star Trek Discovery, the focus on connection, the focus on a different way of looking at leadership, the focus on you know, a lot of the elements that we've talked about, you know, having somebody at the helm of the show who might be bringing a different perspective to Star Trek. I think that's huge. And I, I'm, I love it. 
Yeah, that's uh, well said. Ebony, any take on Michelle Paradise? Yes, I love Michelle's vision for the show. It was just, I mean, it, it was a complete narrative, right? So mm-hmm. I really, of the three landings, I mean, my only two critiques of Discovery have been, um, they don't quite stick the landings. This was before now. They end, we just don't get to know that fabulous crew, right? So we know Saru, we know uh, Michael Burnham, but who are the other bridge officers? And I left this season, my God, that finale. I mean, they tied everything up neatly into a bow. I mean, what more do you want? I mean, one of the best seasons of Trek since the end of uh, DS9 and The Next Generation. I mean, you just can't beat it. Agreed. Okay, let's go to round three. It's the soup round. It's the Dabo round, which are wild cards. Eat your soup, courtesy of a loyal establishment. Jolan True. So, uh, Teresa, what's your double round wildcard pick? All right. My five words in the hashtag, most wholesome queer family ever. <laughs> hashtag science queers are the best queers. This one is, uh, I started by, by saying my, my pick was Adira and Gray. Yep. But I have expanded that to so much gayness um, and queerness. I, first of all, Adira and Gray, I will focus on them because, first of all, the representation, obviously. I love Ian Alexander as an actor. I've been a fan of his since the OA and... Loved him in that. Buck. We love Buck. <laughs> Buck is the best. Awesome. So good. And um, and I love uh, Blue Del Barrio as well. They are, they are awesome. Good. <laughs> and they're both so cute. Like, they're just uh, they're such cinnamon rolls, the two of them. I just want to squish them. Um... <laughs> But then, you know, I love not only that those characters were introduced, but that they gave Stamets and uh, Culber someone to focus on, you know, and and they become kind of a family, you know, like a, a makeshift ship unit. Um, I love that Stamets has taken uh, Adira under his wing. And I love that Culber, you know, because of Culber's experience in the mycelial network, <laughs> you know, has uh, understands you know, Adira's experience and Gray's experience and has that to offer them. I, and I just love that they've gravitated toward each other. And then, of course, um, is it Reno? Uh, I'm like, take Nataro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that engineering has become the gayest place on. <laughs> um, so good. So great. Uh, <laughs> but it's like, you've got the snarky lesbian over here. You've got the the snarky gays over here. You've got the non-binary kids going, what? Um, and I just love them all so much. Uh, and the I highlighted Forget-Me-Not and um, The Hope Is You Part 2. Forget-Me-Not just because we got to see Adira's yes. experience as a trill and kind of see something that we hadn't seen before on Star Trek, really, is that is that trill kind of the you know going deeper into the relationship with a symbiont and and how that works please speak your names i am kasha tall jovar tall medela tall kara tall senator gray tall and i am adira tall Kala 
But also in the season finale, where we get Grey having that experience of being corporeal and being seen and not wanting that to be taken away. I thought that was so powerful. And I'm so glad that now that they know that that's possible, that's something they can work on. And I'm glad that kind of Culber and and uh, Stamets are determined to have Grey be seen as much as Adira is seen. And uh, you know, metaphorically, that's powerful. It's like, you know, <laughs> queer people want to be seen and be represented and be heard. And as the character choice for this, you know, yep. young character on like the cusp of the afterlife and the living, you know, <laughs> like such a powerful thing. So I just love all of them. Yep. It's really powerful. And they did such a good job of making that part of the story, but also making it really clear <laughs> the message that they're saying and the inclusion. And I love that you chose queer family because <laughs> it's so great at that last shot of them all together. And, and the Stamets motivation when, man, that scene and, and there's a tide when, when Burnham ejects him into space and you, we all know she's doing the right thing, but Stamets just can't see through it and you understand it. And wow, that's some powerful stuff and something still to be resolved in season four. Uh, Ebony, what's your take on uh, this pick? Well, I think that it's similar um, to Teresa's um, as far as representation goes, but it's just another category. So my five words are so many awesome ass kicking black people. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And my hashtag is we have a future. You know, so the rule of three, according to famous comic book writer Dwayne McDuffie, is if you do a story with three or more black characters it becomes a black product and star trek just decided that you know forget that we're going to just include everyone in the future from all you know backgrounds and uh we're gonna have queer folk we're good and we're gonna have more than one of everybody because you know you know the way that this usually goes right like you get one of each on the bridge or one of each on a show and Discovery just exploded that. Um, my only um, one sadness before I get into um, our three, um, you know, Black characters is um, how come Owo and Detmer, okay, I kind of shipped, I may ship, and I was hoping for, you know, like, I don't know, I was hoping for a little bit more than a hug in the finale. Oh, I, I just, it's, I it's, okay, I thought it was just me. I thought it was just me. <laughs> go, Teresa. You no, no, I was, I was just saying, I'm, I'm convinced that is coming. I think, I know that is 100% coming in season four. I thought it was it's so okay. clear. They've done such a good job of kind of <laughs> dropping it and you see it and you're like, is there time for this? What are they going to do with this? It's coming and it's going to be awesome. <laughs> so we have intersectional because that was the only thing. Cause I was like, well, all the black people are straight. So what's going on? But yes. So, right. now we have like, <laughs> so, I mean, it like, it's just so cool to, cause first, Usually on a show where we, you know, I'm just almost speechless because I just finished this finale and I don't want to ruin it for your listeners. who No, no, the spoilers are abound. Okay. Say whatever you want. Oh, well, oh, Joanne. Oh, my (laughs) God. Like, so it's not just that you have one ass kicking, beautiful black woman who gets a romance, too, because I wrote a whole book about how we never, you know, get the guy or the girl or the, you know, or anybody, you know, you're, you know, you're you're the cheese that stands alone. Look at Uhura, who for 40 years was like one of, you know, just beautiful. And it's like, you know, I mean, it was just, it's implausible. But, you know, Michael, you know, she has her boo in the future, which, you know, Ooh, age gap um and then <laughs> now hopefully 
hopefully in season four, we'll get the great romance with Owo and Detmer. And I'm thinking, wow, look at all these multifaceted ways that people of color exist in the future. And let this be a lesson and let this be the hope that Gene Roddenberry himself, when he had the great vision to put together this show in the 60s, let it be an extension of that vision. We are still those people. We can still, even during such a time as this, I'm sorry to preach a little here, but you know, just after the week we've had, yeah. it is so refreshing to be on Star Trek, you know, to watch Star Trek, be on Star Trek, you know, shit, I wish, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but you you know what I mean? Like to, um, and chat with fans from different backgrounds and it's so different. So we need Starfleet to take over the nation's capital and probably the United Nations because look at what's going on on Discovery and in the 32nd Century Federation. So ah, I could gush more, but I just, I love it. I love it. Preach away. The last two episodes of uh, of Trek Ranks, I've had to rein myself in because I got on this both sides bullshit that I just will not stand for. And hey, everybody, guess what happened this week? Yeah, we literally <laughs> had an insurrection in the United States Capitol. So you, you know me? what? For those of you tuning out, you literally F off yeah. because I am <laughs> so over it. Anyway, awesome pick. I love this. My only comment was going to be, I love that the counts that you guys are both referring to from your perspectives and your hope for representation with discovery, the count of like, Hey, there's the black friend. We're okay. Or there's the Latino woman. We've checked the box. Right. It's just gone on this show. There's just everybody (laughs) everywhere. There's no count of Latino or gay or any, it's just, it's amazing. I, I will say, you know, when I watched the first episode of the season, and I got to the end and I it was so full of hope and I was so like, oh my God, this is going to be amazing. It wasn't until the end of the episode that I realized there was not one white actor that wasn't wearing makeup. Correct. Yeah. I was, I, and, I, and it dawned on me. I was like, I just watched this whole episode. It didn't even occur to me. And then I, I, I realized, wait a minute, yeah. <laughs> a whole bunch of people yeah. of color like doing stuff in space. Did I just watch that? <laughs> Yep. And there's a scene, I think it's at People of Earth. There is a scene where they cut to the ready room and it's, it's you know, key action sequence stairs. Everything's blowing up. There's stuff happening everywhere. And there are five women standing around a table. They are deciding everything, all the action. And I'm thinking, and I, and I did notice that because I was like, that's not even a thing. It's just, that's, that's standard. That's normal. Right. And, but think about how, how not only rare, like, has that ever happened before in the history of yeah. any media where five women in the middle of an action show are just, it was, it was really, really, really cool. All right. I'll say this is, I love, we usually call this the soup round. We're going to call this the representation round <laughs> because Teresa's represented, Ebony's represented. That's awesome. Double round. My pick's a little bit of representation because I love cats. So I am picking <laughs> book and grudge are my my picks. Five words and a hashtag. A king and his queen. Hashtag <laughs> I want in. My episode is the sanctuary, which was not the most popular episode of the season. It's actually a lot better than I think when people go back and rewatch that. It fits with the end of the season really well, and it, it's made that episode better. But I just say the the. Brilliant masterstroke to add a big, fluffy Maine Coon cat as my cat literally meows in the background. <laughs> um, it, so much buzz and love for for Grudge. It was amazing. The beautiful queen. But 
I just, I got to talk about Book because I was so sold on this character right from the get-go. The mystery of his heritage, how he connected telepathically with the with the plant and then gave the salve to Barnum and then the Transformers. I'm a huge animal lover and conservationist, so I loved seeing that anti-poaching message right off the back. And this character he was so cool, and I love that they took a little bit of time with the with the slow burn, uh, no pun intended, <laughs> relationship with Burnham and the, and everything that was going on. And I I just uh, yeah, the full circle of the end of the sanctuary is where he basically says that it's the the Federation's doing the the same work that he's been focused on his whole life. He sees that now. They're helping those in need, and he wants in. Did you mean what you said to Kaheem? get what we're doing out here. Discovery saved my planet from something that had us for a century. What you've done, what the Federation's done for us, for other worlds like ours, I want in. I want what means something. Well, you'll have to speak to Captain Saru and clarify your intentions aboard his starship. I know. One eye, yeah, I know. And we got one final she's a queen at the end of <laughs> uh, That Hope Is You Part 2. It was amazing. Yeah. So book and grudge. David Ajala, the, the actor, amazing. Uh, Ebony, what's your take on book and grudge? I was trying not to scream over here. Oh my gosh, that's so perfect. And, um, you know, can I just say like just such a, a perfect love interest yes. uh, for, for Michael. I mean, I, I just have to be a little, you know, sappy here. I mean, I just wasn't satisfied in previous seasons with the writing for her on that score. It didn't feel believable. This felt super believable. And uh, I wonder what kinds of tensions they're going to face now that, you know, like now with the big reveal that, you know, Michael finally gets the seat, um, you know, she gets captain's chair, you know, nub and all, you know, that she can you know, rub on. And, you know, I'm wondering how that is going to change their relationship with him being such, you know, a renegade and, you know, like it's him and, you know, one man, um, one cat and his ship and <laughs> yeah. Based on the way they brought it together this season, I feel like they're just going to, to have them be in a relationship and not add all like drama elements. Like okay, good. Will, yeah. I just, that's my gut feeling of the way they okay. set it up. I think it's smart. And I'll say that if there's any victim of the first two seasons, showrunner uh, debacles is the really the only way to put it with three <laughs> showrunners leaving uh, is for sure. The, the uh, love interest and in, with Burnham yes. and Tyler. And I, I just think that that was definitely a victim of that. Uh, Teresa, any take on book and grudge before we move on? Yeah, no, I, I, I am so, I love book. And honestly, I'm like, I have a, like, I, I have a crush on so many people on the show. Um, and, <laughs> and, like seriously, like, I mean, and Sonequa Martin Green's beautiful, but I have to be like, get it girl. Like get it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, yes, I, I am here for all of it. But in addition to his hotness, and we talked a little bit about it with Saru and leadership style, like I love that Discovery is showing us different versions of masculinity. And like, mm-hmm. here we have Book who on the surface is this like action hero, will kick your ass dude, right? He's a courier, he's got this adventurous lifestyle. So he's got all of that, but also he loves animals and he's empathic. 
And he's very in his emotions. He, you know, his relationship with uh, Michael and the way that he dotes on Michael and the way that he cares about her, but not in a way that is, he's not, it's not proprietary, you know, like it's not, you know, he doesn't own her. He's not trying to tell her where to be or who to be or anything. And like, I think they are such a great couple because they both care about each other and are good partners, but they also are willing to let each other do their thing. And that is huge. Yeah. And I just, I love him so much and I love grudge and I'm so, I, I'm, I hope that grudge, it seems like grudge likes Michael. She, you know, she had a year to like <laughs> because if Grudge did not have Michael, I firmly believe there would be a problem. Yeah, <laughs> I think you're right. And you've said way more eloquently what I said, was trying to say that I don't think they're going to just insert manufactured, you know, scripted drama that you would have in normal shows. I just think the two get get each other. They respect each other. They do their thing. They're in a relationship. It's awesome. That's what I hope, at least. Okay, let's go to round two. Our top characters, uh, Teresa. What's your what's your pick? All right, uh, five words in a hashtag. I'd follow her into battle. Hashtag ready for the captain's chair. My favorite character, Hilly. Yes, fantastic. And I chose. Uh, I had two episodes that I really wanted to uh, that I thought she stood out in. Far from home and Unification Part Three. Uh, where she, we see her kind of, we, we see in her the elements that make for a good captain. And it's funny because, <laughs> you know, she's obviously an ensign, right? She just jumped through a million ranks to get to, to acting captain. But there's a reason for that. There's a reason Saru picked her. It's because she, in a pinch, is able to make the hard call and do it with compassion. And I love that she will call Michael out. And and like, you know, Michael is, you know, she said, you put me in a very difficult position when you just ran off. And I had, you know, it's like, you put Saru in a bad position. You put me in a bad position. Hey, Saru demoted me. Yeah. Hey, um, you put me in a really horrible position with Saru and with the Admiral when you went off on your own. It would have been so much worse if I had told you. My choice. Not yours. I'm sorry, Tilly. This transition has been difficult for all of us. I had to go. I had to. The truth is, I don't know how I fit in anymore. So even though she's the warm, squishy heart of the show, she's also not afraid to step up and defend the Federation, defend Starfleet, defend her ship when she has to. And I thought she grew so much this season. And I am here for more Tilly. She is she is uh, love her so much. I love it. I had this in my notes for my Michelle Paradise, but I didn't bring it up. And I'm going to do it now. One of my favorite moments of the entire season it shows Saru's ability as a captain. It's great writing from Michelle Paradise, who wrote the episode. And it's when she's like, why did you choose me for this met- this mission when they're walking together? And he just says, hey, we're here to introduce ourselves to the 32nd century. And you, Ensign Tilly, are a wonderful first impression. That just ah. was perfect. Said it all. She was amazing. I love that we didn't see it coming. I don't. I don't know anybody that was like thought she was going to get that appointment. It was such a great surprise. I loved it. It made perfect sense. 
I mean, there's a giant hunk of planet hanging there in the sky. Wish we had the time to figure out how all this works. Sorry, sir, I'm, I'm talking because I'm scared. I know. Keep talking, Ensign. You know, on the ship, I said the scans were uh, odd or uh, strange, but it's not true. It's We're odd and strange. Not to each other. Thank you for asking me to accompany you, sir. Why did you ask me to accompany you, sir? I needed an engineer. The ship's full of engineers. Giorgio is an engineer. An engineer I can trust. She thinks I'm useless. She's concerned for Michael and lacks the self-awareness to control her behavior in such an unsettled state. We are introducing ourselves to the future. You, Ensign Tilly, are a wonderful first impression. And it, she was amazing in it. Uh, Ebony, any take on Tilly before your pick? I love Tilly. During season one, she was um, sort of my awkward, well, all Trekkies awkward avatar. You know, <laughs> I felt like, okay, yeah, Tilly is us. This is who we would be when we were on the, you know, if we were on Discovery, but not so much anymore. She's too, way too confident, man. Like, she's amazing. Um, I don't think I could have done this season in any universe what uh, Sylvia ended up doing. And so I'm just really impressed with the growth of the character um and i i i I just want her naysayers who you know people were very unkind about the character and about uh mary's uh portrayal during the first you know during the first season especially and i just think that it's both the characters writing has you know it's not just the characters writing is showing growth but the actress herself is just knocking it out the ballpark showing nuance and just showing what tilly can do if given a chance. So I, I think it's an excellent pick, Teresa. That is perfect. And I wish that the haters uh, could, could have just heard you, Ebony, but none of those people listen to my podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it. Ebony, what is your, right. uh, who's your top character? Well, she is also a bridge officer and my five words are she's perfect at the helm and my hashtag is fly girl fly. Kayla Detmer has uh, intrigued me since the very first episode. So, um, you know, the battle of the binary stars, the Vulcan hello. Sorry. Other way around. Um, Yeah. I just, I was intrigued by her. And what we've done is for the first two seasons, we saw her in the background, you know, so she's um, at the helm and she's flying the ship. And then there's something that she goes through that I felt Emily, um, does such a wonderful job portraying, you know, it's almost as, you know, she's at, you know, um, because the ship crash, you know, the ship crashes or ends up, you know, they end up in peril in episode two, and then she falls, she hits her head, but you know, her implant gets damaged. Her yeah. And so I just was intrigued by the fact that they chose to um, highlight the PTSD of not only what it must have been like for the crew members were not following to leave everything they've ever known in the past, but also the sheer trauma of what happened when they first got to the 32nd century. Um, You know, she seems 
like she's dealing with anxiety at first, she's depressed. And, you know, being someone who um, struggles with anxiety and depression myself and a bit of PTSD, I could certainly relate to Kayla Detmer this season. And um, I am rooting for the character in the future. I want to see much, much more of her. Yeah, what a great story arc. And when you mentioned that, it really left an impact on me when she goes to sick bay because she's hit her head, and when and basically when they say no, you're fine, you're you're good to go, and right. then you realize, oh man, this isn't a physical injury. This is something mental and deeper that she's struggling with right now. Really, that was really clever. That wasn't far from home. And I love that you shout out to her from the very first episode. I feel the exact same way. One of the best moments of this series is context is for Kings. When Michael Burnham ends up on discovery and she's in the commissary and Kayla Detmer is walking with the plate of food and just stops in her tracks and gives her that stare. That was powerful. It said so much. Yeah, Emily Coots is amazing as as Kayla Detmer. Uh, Teresa, any take? Oh my god! I mean, I I love Detmer. We're talking about characters that I have a crush on, um, I'm like <laughs> Detmer can get it, Book can get it. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> they can all. I'm sorry. That. This is becoming like a fanfic podcast, but um, <laughs> I I love Detmer, and I and you know I love the <laughs> when she's talking to I think Colbert about you know how. Or no, it was the, the other doctor, and I forget her name. Um, Pollard, Pollard. Pollard, yeah. yes. Talking to the doctor about like pilots being macho. I, first of all, I love that she phrased it that way. Right. And I love that the examination of that and the fact that she really is deep in her gut a pilot. Like that's that's what she was born to do. And it's so clear. Yeah. And the, the, that the PTSD really, a lot of it had to do with guilt for for possibly getting her crew in danger. She's so in it and she's so passionate about what she does. And this season, really, we got to see that. Um, And kind of, Ebony, you were talking before about just the crew in general and getting to know them. Like, that's what I loved about this season, too, is that we we really got to see them work as a team and we got to know them individually. There's still we still don't know the two dudes very well. I have to say, I don't even remember their names, to be perfectly honest. (laughs) But like, I want to get I want to get into their heads as well. I am very curious about their backstory and their whatever. and, And I'm sure we'll get that next season. But I love that we know that they are down for each other no matter what. Yeah. And they are a unit. They are a team. They, they move as one. And Detmer has a lot to do with that. And I love her. I love it. For the record, it's Bryce and Reese. And yeah, we don't know much about them yet. But, <laughs> but we do know a lot about Kayla and, and a little bit about, oh, well, they've done, a, they've done a pretty good job of kind of weeding that in. When, again, you only have 13 episodes, 14 episodes a season. It's, it's kind of a different model for Trek. Okay. Let's finish it out with my top pick for character five words and a hashtag. I tease this one before I pick her every time (laughs) headline. Michael Burnham is coming. Hashtag you guys are chronic overachievers and it's Michael Burnham. Ah. She is one of my favorite Star Trek characters ever. I absolutely love, uh, the way she kind of just roots the this whole show and the kind of different narrative of three seasons. And I picked Unification Three as my episode. I could have picked any any of them, but for me, she's just a really inspirational character, and I, I love the reintroduction and that hope is you part one that we talked about. Love the relationship with book with book that we talked about. Love that her story was that she spent that year alone and it impacted her in that first 
six, seven episodes of the season, weren't really sure what she wanted. And if she felt like she was going to be able to fit back in and step back into her old life it was really, really well done. Yeah. The demotion loved, loved all that. I just think that, that she is an amazing character and the end was so satisfying for her to finally sit down in that chair for the first time in three seasons, take over as captain, incredible setup for season four. And I just think unification three just highlighted everything with her and her mother and the Takao and Ket and the whole Vulcan science Academy thing, bringing it all back. Loved it. Michael Burnham is my pick. Uh, Ebony, any take on Michael Burnham that we haven't already covered? No, I mean, I think that you both have said it all. I mean, I, you know, I never pick her because I would just be gushing forever. (laughs) You know, there's so much to say about Michael. There's so much to say about Sonequa. And uh, I just, I mean, she rocks. And I just love her. Love, Uh, love. I always make sure to pick her because sometimes it's easy to forget the leads. I just, I just really appreciate what she's done. Uh, Teresa? Yeah, no, I, and that's kind of why I, I wanted to make sure to, to, if not pick Michael Burnham as a character, Sonequa Martin-Green as an actress, because yes. yeah, it is easy to forget, like, because you take for granted that the lead is the lead, but I love the character and I want to highlight just her relationship with Giorgio and the fact that, you know, when she's, she's trying to help Giorgio navigate this condition that she's experiencing and just the the complexity of that and the the kind of mother-daughter vibe between them as well. Right. I, I, I just love watching her grow as a person as she's coming to love this person who is, you know, not the Giorgio that she knew, but is the Giorgio that's probably the more the most important to her. Mm-hmm. Yep. Love it. Okay, let's go to round one. Get our favorite episode. So Teresa, what's your uh, what's your top episode of the season? All right. I cheated. <laughs> we love cheating. We love cheating. <laughs> on that out there right now. My five words and hashtag. She's compelling beyond her rank. Hashtag the Burnham hello. My, oh, so good. My top pick is that hope is you parts one and two. Yes. Love it. <laughs> yes. Now, what I will say is it was bothering me for the longest time because the first episode is part one. And I got like kind of the completionist in me was very upset that the next episode was not part two. And I was like, what is happening? I loved it. I love that they did that. It was so different. It was like, is it going to be the, the season four premiere? Is it the season three finale? Who knows? Will they never do it? I don't know. And I was like, is this a typo at Amazon? What's happening? Right, um, right. So, but be that as it may, I, I wanted to highlight the, that as one episode because from beginning to the, uh, from the beginning of the season to the end of the season, it's all about Michael Burnham's evolution to the captain's chair. Like it's, she had to be put in this like crucible of the future, the far future to be made ready to be captain. And my five words were she's compelling beyond her rank, because I think from the beginning of discovery, I loved that the protagonist was not a captain automatically. I think that a lot of the other protagonists being the captain or being the commander of a space station, it's easy to kind of be like, oh, they're important because they're the captain. Of course they're important. She was compelling and important and worth following no matter what her rank was. And I think this season showed us that. And I think these two episodes as bookends really highlighted why this character matters and why she deserves to be in the captain's chair. She was put through it. She made it through. 
she she learned and grew because she made some mistakes too. There were some times where she was called on her, you know, yep. she spent a little too much time in this future by herself and maybe she forgot some of what the what the Federation gave her. But she was reminded and she she grew in the best ways. And by the time she gets into that chair, it's like, yes, she is ready now. She was not ready last season. She wasn't ready in the first season. Now she's ready. And I love how those two episodes captured that. That's perfect. And the mistakes, you're so right. It was really interesting narrative. Like, I love the moment with Saru and her. And I think it was Scavengers where she's like, hey, if we could just get our hands on you know, these plans, we could go figure this out. And this is right after, you know, Vance has given yeah. Saru, uh, you know, authority and control. And Saru just looks at her and says, get our hands on. <laughs> you are not getting this. We're not going to go. We're going to go do this the proper way, proper channels. We're not going to get our hands on something. <laughs> anyway, really, really cool. I love this pick. Uh, Ebony, how about you? What's your uh, what's your number one pick? Well, actually, I was going to try the same thing that Teresa did. I'm looking at my note, but I have a backup plan. Um, I do want to say before I mention my five words and hashtag and get into it, that Lieutenant Sahil, as you mentioned, was just, you know. Yeah. Great bookend. Great bookend for the two episodes. I tell you. I love him so much. I well up every time I see him on screen. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I just, I, tears, the tears just flowed both episodes. All right. So I'm going to pick, since we're, we can pick two episodes. I am going to pick um, Terra Firma parts one and two. Awesome. (laughs) Awesome. I'm glad we get to talk about it. Yes. Uh, and um, oh God, I did it the wrong way. Okay, no, give us give us your five words and hashtag. It doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> All right, great. Okay, so it's gonna be back to the mirror universe, and then hashtag goodbye, Philippa. Aww. Yeah. So I just really enjoy the mirror universe. I am one of the Trekkies that the mirror universe was made for because as a little girl, Mirror Mirror was my favorite episode because I, I think love that. You that, you know, Lieutenant Uhura, you know, who was my, you know, mirror on screen, um, she got to get away from the her station. She got away from communications and actually got an opportunity to be part of the action there. So and then I started following the rest of the Mirrorverse. So um, I think all of the series except for um, TNG, I think, you know, of course, there's the novels have Mirrorverse representation. So I just really do. You know, I, I'm one of the fans who liked um, some of what was done with the Mirror Universe in Discovery Season 1. And so it, I felt as if we were taking Philippa full circle by taking her back so that she could revisit, you know, what happened before she was snatched away from her her world, her entire world. And shout out to Sonequa for playing the hell out of oh, Mirror Michael. So I good. Mean, he slayed it. Ah. I mean, it was just all so good. Um, and it was good seeing Rekha Sharma again. Yes. And yeah, it, there was just so much that was good about, of course, part one and then part two, the Guardian. Ah. Did you see that? Yeah, I did not see that. You know, I didn't see it coming. So what did you Uh, think? I'm so glad you picked that. I'm glad we get to talk about it. I'm glad we got to see Rekha Sharma die for a third time. She is (laughs) awesome. (laughs) Actually, I'm sad about that. I love her. Uh, I'm glad the Guardian of Forever uh, framing for this was so good. It was so smart. So well done. And you're right. I think what 
Discovery's done with the Mirror Universe has been fantastic from Lorca all the way through. And this was a great way to set up, you know, it's another setup for what's to come in the Section 31 series, which we just don't know anything about. But but I like the idea of it literally could be anything, anywhere, anytime, and, and maybe all of those combined over and over again. So I love it. Uh, Teresa, any take? Yeah, no, I, I'm also glad I, I wanted to talk about uh, Terra Firma because, and I, I didn't mention this when I was talking about Tilly, but I love her in any universe. I love Captain. <laughs> yes. I love yes. Tilly, I, you know, and I you love Tilly pretending to be Captain Kill. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and variations. No. And I, I, what I love about the mirror universe and, uh, you know, I agree that, you know, I've always been a fan of the Mirror Universe episodes as well. And what I love about it is that it really highlights like who the person is deep down. And yeah, then it's yes. like, how are they warped? So like, for example, using Tilly as an example, Killy, even though she, you know, Mirror Universe, she's down for the Terran Empire, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, she is loyal. She is, yeah. she, she, there's a way of doing things. And she is loyal to Emperor Giorgio. Mm-hmm. she's she's going to do what she needs to do to protect her and she's not going to be swayed and she's not going to be it's not about her own power it's about what's good for the empire what's good for Giorgio so like that's who she is and we get to see that in the mirror universe as well as in the prime universe and yeah just I mean Sneakwa Martin Green killed it I loved Giorgio's relationship with Saru in the in Terra Firma like watching her kind of handpick him to be her eyes and ears and getting to, you know, she used to eat Kelpian. I know. And to yeah. watch her go from that horrible woman to someone who is becoming intimate, close friends with a Kelpian is like mind blowing to me. So, yes, love it all. Yeah, they really earned all of that with that two parter. Really, really well done. Okay, we'll close it out with my top episode pick. <laughs> it is a duplicate. And I'm not cheating, but I'm five words in a hashtag. Part two is actually part three, hashtag let's fly. And it's the hope is you, that hope is you part two. I love this episode. The only thing, uh, and I love that it's not only part two, because from the season opener, but it's part three of a three-part season finale. So really clever, Mm. really clever the way they've kind of, change some of the storytelling structures and narrative of Trek uh, under Michelle Paradise this season. The the thing I will highlight on this uh, episode before we finish off is that I, it was just, there was so much going on for a final episode to close out from Burnham, Tilly, Saru, Adira, the burn, uh, the Federation, Emerald change, Osira. And they had these two very distinct narratives going on with Sukal on the Dilithium planet. And then of course the discovery crew and the, the trying to retake the ship and finish off Osira. And I just felt like both stories had so much time to, they didn't feel rushed. They just feel like they got the time they needed. They had time to breathe. We got these big character beats with whether it's Owu and Burnham and book or Saru and Sukal. Just, it, it just felt really didn't feel rushed. Like, and I think it'd be fair to say that maybe the season one and season two finales maybe felt a little rushed in terms of just trying to wrap it all up. So I love that. And then bonus, we get this amazing epilogue, which seriously is one of the best epilogues in Trek. It sets up all these incredible things with Burnham in command, 
the you know she's still a little bit at odds with Stamets. Books on board. You know he's he's now able to to jump. Uh, Saru's off the ship helping Sukal. They got new uniforms. It's just really incredible to me that all of that felt. It's like a cliffhanger without like a cliffhanger that's leaving you wanting. It's just like oh boy, season four is going to be awesome, and they've just set up all these different narratives, and I can't wait, and I love it, and. Yeah, this was uh, this was a really special episode of Trek, and Ebony, you watched it like thirty minutes ago. So, um, any other any other comments from you guys on this episode? I when can I watch it again, man? I'm, I just I want to watch it all over. That's again. perfect. As soon as we're done, and we're almost there. Okay. Any secondary systems picks? Anything you guys want to highlight quickly before we get going? Um, that maybe hasn't been highlighted yet, uh, Teresa. Yeah, actually, I and and. I also thought it was an amazing finale, an amazing episode of Trek that last uh, the season finale. And I want to highlight the the storyline about um, the Emerald Chain wanting to be mm-hmm. part of the Federation. Good one, yes. Super interesting because I was not expecting that. I, you know, they kind of were were showing us Osira as this as a villain, like straight up, like thuggish, like you know, criminal mastermind or whatever. And to see that that her like she's she's been backed into a corner enough that she understands, listen, I need to lithium. This crime life is not working out for me. I need to, to, to ally myself with a group of people that can help me out and do so in a non-criminal way. And honestly, I will say, I thought Vance overplayed his hand. I thought br- bringing up her being brought to justice immediately in the negotiations was a bad idea. <laughs> I'm like that is not how you do it, bro. Um, I'm like you could have had her. That would have been great. And then it's like, oh, by the way, yeah. Once you're, you're, you know, once the Orions are in the Federation, then you can figure that out. But I, I love that storyline and and showing us Osira as a more complicated character than she initially seemed like she was going to be. Totally agree. First off, I thought this is not a good villain when uh, scaven when in the sanctuary when we see her for the first time. Yeah. I wrote, I wrote it for Trek Corps. I was like, I am not impressed by this villain. But this payoff was amazing because you didn't I, – I couldn't believe it was happening. I was like, what's the – okay, when's the other shoe going to drop? And then you realize it's not. That's what this is. And, of course, you're right. He did overplay his hand. I never really thought of that. But for the narrative of the moment and what they had to cram in and do it, it was so satisfying yeah. to to have a scene where you have this kind of in-depth negotiation about two big political entities – but at the end, saying, and by the way, you know, we're not letting you off the hook. Yeah. You're going to pay for your crimes, which, by the way, that's also very relative to what's happening yeah. in our world right now. Uh, that's an awesome, awesome pick. I'm glad you highlighted it. Ebony, any uh, any other picks or any comment on that one? Yeah, I just have two questions for, for you two, especially as, you know, I consider you both Trek spurts. Um, <laughs> and, okay, no, really. So two questions. Okay, so, well, a question and amusing. First, do you think that the unification of Navarre is going to hold? I mean, we all love Spock, and we know this was his life's work, but we already see um, some fractures in, um, you know, sort of that binary, you know, coalition on the planet post, you know, like, and I know it's been centuries, but in Unification 3, we saw fractures. So that's my question for you too. And then my wondering is, will Michael have any lasting effects from her rendezvous with the data core? Oh, interesting. <laughs> when she was spitting up the uh, the programmable matter, yeah. which was really cool. Uh, Teresa, any take on either one of those uh, you want to tackle? Yeah, I mean, I, I just love that she was spitting up data core. That was like, yeah. <laughs> <that was awesome. laughs> 
I, I agree. I feel like that's something that they were planting for later. I totally think that's going to come back next season. As far as the uh, Navarre, I love that this is where they ended up. And I love that there's still fractures because honestly, like as much as Star Trek is about hope and about optimism, to me, optimism and hope don't mean anything unless, you know, you're, you're, you contrast that with something. And mm-hmm. I think that the, it makes sense that even though uh, Navarre exists, there's still going to be tensions between the Romulans and the, and the Vulcans. And there's always going to be rumblings. And it's how do you handle those rumblings? You know, how, like what kind of person are you going to be when these problems come up? And I think that, that uh, I don't know that they'll ever be, I don't think they'll ever be as divided as they were. But I think that they it will evolve into to something new, is my opinion. Yeah, I think that's great. I, th- I, I think they're going to stick together. We haven't seen a lot of how they were kind of reunified, but I feel like it was the perfect ending with, hey, here's Trill. Yeah, we're in. We want to be in. And here's Navarre, and they're talking about maybe coming back. <laughs> they're interested, but we're not going to just completely say they're, they're all coming back. And I think there's something set up there, but I feel like, there in a place as for the data core i i didn't think about that at all i love where you guys are going with that that maybe there's something there with burnham in season four we shall see oh i actually have one more thing that i just want to squeeze in i love that burnham's mom is now in the oh yeah the, the co-op a lot was so yes. cool. so cool so cool. such a perfect place <laughs> that's a great secondary system shout out all right everything for me has pretty much been covered from adira and blue del barrio this amazing uh, actor and Doug Jones was one of uh, Ebony's picks with Saru. I, I highly recommend anybody questioning him as a captain to go back and watch Far From Home. And the only thing I'm going to do, one special shout out, because it is the only episode that we haven't mentioned by name thus far. And it's Die Trying, which was the incredible kind of reveal of the Federation when they finally got back wow. to the Federation. And we saw the USS Nog and the USS Voyager J. Really cool. So. Okay, that was awesome. Fantastic picks and conversation. I knew it would be with the both of you. So let's get into our quick regeneration cycle and recap our picks. Computer, activate regeneration cycle. Alcoves beta and gamma. All right, Teresa, recap your five picks really quick. Okay, my round five for favorite production element uh, was were the dot 23s, uh, specifically in There is a Tide. Love them. Round four, my favorite performer was Sonequa Martin-Green, especially in That Hope Is You Part One. Round three for my double round pick was uh, Adira and Gray and the gay family, the queer family (laughs) that they have formed with Stamets and Culber. My round two pick, uh, my favorite character this season and every season for always and forever, Ensign Tilly specifically in Far From Home and Unification Part 3. I think she's absolutely deserving of a captain's chair at some point. And round one, my pick for favorite episode of season three was The Way I Cheated. Um, That Hope Is You, parts one and two. I count them as one episode, and it was amazing. Fantastic. Again, we love cheating on Trek ranks if it results in more Star Trek. Uh, (laughs) Ebony, how about you recap your five? Round five, favorite production design element for me was the unnamed monster in Sukal. Round four, performer or creative, hands down, Doug Doug Jones. Round three, the double round. 
was the wonderful black representation that we have in Star Trek Discovery. I believe you I believe the pick was ass kicking black characters. Oh yeah. Which is awesome. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was okay. So many ass kicking awesome black people. Yeah. Like let, let me yeah, that's right. That's right. Um and that's throughout the season, but I mean especially that hope is you part one, just like Teresa mentioned, round two character is Kayla Detmer. Um, love our pilot and round one. I also cheated for a favorite episode. Um, mine is episode Terra Firma, part one and two. <laughs> the Mirror Universe, fantastic list. Okay, and my uh, top five were for production element was the thirty second century technology leap and just everything they did with that from the Hope Is You part one. Uh, number four, my top performer or creative was Michelle Paradise, showrunner. I chose Far From Home as my episode. My double round pick was Book and Grudge from The Sanctuary. Number My round two pick for character was Michael Burnham. I've now chosen her twice. And I and one I think in season two, I picked uh, Sonequa Martin-Green. And that was for Unification 3. And my number one episode was That Hope Is You, part two, the amazing season finale. So we don't have a ton of stats. The only thing I'll say is the only episodes that didn't get picked were Scavengers and Die Trying. Every other episode got at least one pick. And uh, That Hope Is You pretty much led the way with two or three mentions for each each part of that. I can hear my cat in the background. <laughs> okay. And as we do every week, we've been hit by a temporal distortion. So before we can depart, it's time to hear from you. The temporal distortions are fracturing space-time throughout the ship. Cause? Unknown. Yes, we know the cause, Tuvok. It's all the amazing feedback that we continue to receive here at the Trek Race Podcast. And this week's temporal distortion has sent us back to episode 98 and our show about the top five episodes that feel like TOS that was a really popular episode. It kind of surprised me. I wasn't sure how that one was going to be received. So we got a voicemail in from Rebecca Skipper on Twitter, who is at Skipper8210. And here are her amazing picks. Hi, it's Rebecca. Check Ranks episode 98. Means you're getting closer to 100. What a great milestone for any podcast, particularly yours, because it's one of my favorites. Anyway, here are the episodes I'm choosing that remind me of TOS either in themes or characters that we will see later. My prime directive is, if it feels like TOS to me, it is. That's a simple, non-scientific, non-logical way to look at it. So at number five has to be the Trouble with Edwards short tracks because we get the origin of the uncontrollable troubles that multiply and cause all kind of havoc for then newly minted Captain, and later for Kirk and the Enterprise. Number four is another Short Tracks episode, this time the one with mud. This mud is funnier and that is dark. The one in Discovery was a little off-putting for me because I, I couldn't connect him with the mud that we saw in the animated series and in the original series. My theory is that the mud that we see here is more of a mellowed out version than the one that we saw in Discovery. Now, my third pick is season one of TNG's called The Battle. This is the one where Picard gets these nasty headaches 
and Leo Frankie is trying to get revenge for the death of his son. This reminds me of TOS's court martial where Kirk is being put on trial because his longtime friend was put on a report by Kirk, ruined his career. Now my second episode and first, these are tied, they're great episodes, but you have to choose a second and a first, so the second one is Star Trek Discovery Season 2, If Memory Serves, because to me this episode ties back to both The Cage and the two-part episode Menagerie. It clearly underscores how important Pike is to Spock, even though it was Burnham who you know, took him down to the surface, we see Pike's reaction as well. So that will always stand out as a reminder of the original series. Number one, undoubtedly, has to be the Lower Deck Season 1 finale, No Small Parts. If only for that first scene when they go back to the Landry planet. Wonderful follow-up. It's rare that you see people going back to planets visited hundreds of years ago. So that's why I'm picking no small parts, um, because it does tie back to the original series, and I would like to see more episodes like that would, that would just follow up. So those are my picks. Thanks. Look forward to the episode. All right, I love those picks. I especially love that her number one pick was the shout-out to Lower Decks, No Small Parts, at the beginning when they return to the Landru planet. Um, so just throw a low, Lower Decks in there. As a, a TOS shout out, pretty cool. I love that list. Thank you, Rebecca. So once again, those picks more than enough to clear ourselves from this week's temporal distortion. So as always, I want to thank everyone for all your great responses to the Trek Ranks podcast. But keep your list coming to me at Trek Ranks or uh, on Twitter or uh, or at Enterprise Extra, so we can retweet them. But we also want to hear from you. So put together your own list of top five Discovery season three moments or any list from our past shows. Give us a call at the Tricorder Transmissions at 609-512-5527 at 609-512-LLAP. Or you can just record yourself, send me a DM. We can do it that way. Okay, hopefully we'll hear from you so you can be featured on the next episode of Trek Ranks. And on the next episode of Trek Ranks, we have a great topic for you. I've been trying to get this one done for a long time. It's been on our list for a while. It's our top five bad rolls. That's right. If you're listening to a podcast called Trek Rank, you, we do not need to explain what a bad role is. <laughs> so, Teresa and Ebony, I'm going to put you on the spot. If you had to choose one bad role off the top of your head from the history of Star Trek, who would it be, Teresa? Yeah, the first one that's popping into my head. I mean, she wasn't like a bad role, but like I'm thinking of Discovery now, um, and I forget her name. Oh, uh, Cornwell. Cornwell. She kind of she kind of approved, the, you know the. Uh, eradication of Klingon and yes, she did. So you know what? Yes, <laughs> yes. So <laughs> she, and just she put Georgiou in charge of that mission from the mirror universe. So that, yeah, uh, you know what? She wasn't. She wasn't a great role. Let's put it that way. Yes, um, <laughs> well said. Well said, Ebony. How about you? Any bad role jumping out at you? Yes, because I think that everyone thinks about uh, Star Trek Insurrection or we think about yes. Into Darkness. But guess who I'm going to pick? And it's going to be a totally unpopular pick. <laughs> I think Kirk was actually a terrible admiral. Uh-huh. He, was, well, he sucked at being an admiral. What? I can't 
looked like he was a great, a, a legendary captain. But come on, y'all. You know he was a bad admiral. He wasn't a uh, That is such a legitimate, <laughs> a legitimate pick. I mean, he the way he treats Decker in the motion picture is so bad. <laughs> so bad. And in fact, one of our guests when we did our uh our top five movie villains chose uh Kirk as one of his top five movie villains <laughs> just for that. So yeah, I like that. That's a good house, two good outside the box picks. That's gonna be a fun topic. <laughs> All right. So before we wrap it up, a huge thanks to Teresa Jacinio and Ebony Elizabeth Thomas. It was so awesome to have you guys on for this amazing topic. I was wondering if you could show me how to access these subspace communications logs. Me, me too, Neelix. So any final Trek subspace communications, either one of you guys want to relay before we depart, Teresa? Yeah, no, thank you so much again for uh, for asking me. I love coming on to do this. And once again, I am on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Teresa Giacino. And I forgot to mention my website for my production company. So it's pomonokentertainment.com, P-O-M-O-N-O-K. Check it out. Uh, I have a Felicity podcast for for some crossover action. (laughs) If you want to talk about an over 20-year-old show about a college girl, you can listen to that if you want. Have you covered the haircut yet? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, of course. I mean, how could you not? (laughs) I I love that deep JJ crossover, Felicity. Awesome show. Uh, uh, Ebony, how about you? Glad. Thanks for coming on. I like Felicity, and I actually mentioned it this um, today earlier. I actually talked about Felicity, so I'm going to check out your back and check out your show. My, I am Ebony Elizabeth Thomas. It's been great being here. Um, I am Eb Watches Trek on Twitter at ebonyelizabeththomas.com, and my book, The Dark Fantastic: Race and the Imagination from Harry Potter to the Hunger Games, um, is available wherever books are sold. Fantastic. Uh, thanks you guys really that was awesome conversation i love it and thanks again everyone for engaging with us here on episode 102 of the trek ranks podcast as always i want to close by saying i'm looking forward to standing with you again here in this place where i belong what's the latest the mining vessel coloma is waiting for us at the dilithium planet first deliveries are two federation worlds five non-federation worlds and one star base that would like to thank us with their signature gelato All right, then. Everybody ready? Yes, Yes, Captain. Captain. Let's fly. Just want to remind everyone again that the entire Trek Ranks catalog is available for you to download and listen to at trekranks.com and on your podcast player of choice. Our episodes never get carbon dated, so check out the topics you've missed and maybe just want to listen to again over at trekranks.com. And a reminder to check out our friends Five Year Mission at fiveyearmission.net. They're writing a song for every episode of Star Trek, and you won't believe how great their music is. They also have a podcast at the Trek Geeks Network, so seek them out. You won't regret it.
Where's the captain? I'm acting captain. <laughs> the Kelpian left you in charge. Damn straight. Mm, kind of busy right now, so could you get to the point? You are not really captain material. So nice try. You don't know anything about me. Oh, sure I do. Everybody's friend, right? Good with people, team player. But deep down in that pretty little heart of yours, you know that you're just a fraud. How am I doing? Mm, a certain 19th century Earth neurologist would say that you've just proven the idea of projection. You tell me I'm a fraud because deep down inside, you kind of feel like a fraud. It's interesting. It's not just a human defense mechanism, it's galactic. Don't test me, Red. Okay, we'll skip Freud. What do you want? Your ship, your spore drive, and your crew as leverage. Oh, no. Not gonna happen. You will not take this ship or anyone on it. Not now, not ever. No.